first reading is from First Peter. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty Father, uh, as we now take a few minutes and um, try to listen to you, um, will you help us listen to you? Listening is so hard. And it's, it's, it's hard not just because it's hard to pay attention. It's hard because our hearts are slow to hear your voice. Sometimes it just seems like there's stuff that gets in the way. Um, whether it be mundane things that just distract us, but, but yet deeper things, deeper things, parts of our hearts that aren't sure that we really want to hear what you have to say. Uh, loads of, uh, loads of us feel skeptical parts of our, we we're just skeptical that you're even real. Are we talking to the sky? Are we trying to listen to the sky? What's going on? Father, you know, all that's going on in us. <clears throat> You know what's going on in us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And so, Father, we ask you boldly uh, to address our obstacles, to address our, our fears, to address the parts of us that's just so reticent to believe and to hear and to listen. And will you distract us with the beauty of Jesus? Will you grant us to see that Jesus is just uh, so compelling and so beautiful that, that he's just better than every other alternative? And, and, uh, and deeply, deeply trustworthy. So make that plain to us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hi, everybody. Um, great to kind of see you um, today. <laughs> but um, will you please turn it either in your service sheets uh, or in your Bibles back to that First uh, Peter reading? We're going to be, um, we, we've been looking at First uh, Peter for a while. If you're using a Bible, it's towards the end of the Bible. Uh, and um, we've been looking at Peter for the last little bit. We're going to kind of continue hanging out with Peter for uh, a, a bit. And today, we're really only going to be looking at two verses and really only a portion of these two verses. And here's, here's the two verses we're going to look at. Verse four says this, uh, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, that's where we're going to camp. Let me try to set this up just a little bit. Um, earlier this week, I was reading an article by a leadership coach. Have you ever spent any time any with leadership coaches? 
um, probably some of you are leadership coaches. Um, um, I think they're great. Uh, but one of the things it seems to me that they do is leadership coaches, uh, very often what they do is they, they sort of give names to dynamics that we can all recognize but by giving a name to it, uh, it, it just gives us insight and it, it gives us just something to hold. Um, we kind of recognize it intuitively. It's not like they're teaching us something that we've never even considered, but they name something that resonates with us and it gives us a new tool. Uh, this coach earlier this week um, was saying that, um, you know, everybody right now is super frustrated because we're all living in weird COVID land. And, and here's the word that he used to describe it. He says, we're living kind of like a half-life. Um, now, obviously, clearly, some of us are experiencing catastrophic and acute suffering. However, a lot of us, uh, see if you can identify with this. For a lot of us, it's just a little bit more ambiguous than that. Um, for a lot of us, it's just kind of like uh, we were living in color and then all of a sudden right now it just kind of feels black and white. Like, like, like the color of life is just sort of drained out, like, like it's gone from, from the full thing to kind of this weird half life. It's, it's not that everything's falling apart. For some of us, maybe that's the case. But for a lot of us, it's not that life is entirely falling apart, but it's that we're experiencing things like isolation and professional uncertainty and just kind of a low-grade frustration, and it just makes life feel half of what it's supposed to be. We're living in a half-life, and it feels exhausting. Can you identify? Now, <clears throat> I bring this up because the Apostle Peter, in this 2,000-year-old uh, letter that we've been reading, the Apostle Peter is writing to people who are experiencing something a little bit like this. They're not experiencing exactly the same thing as we're experiencing, but they were suffering. They were early Christians and they were suffering and they were exiled from a normal, comfortable life. And into that half-life, so to speak, Peter sends this message. It's as if he says, I'm paraphrasing, it's as if Peter says through this letter, hey, listen, early Christians who are experiencing a half-life, I want you to know, it's as if Peter says, I want you to know that God has not called you to a half-life. He's called you to full life. But, says Peter in this letter, it's as if he says, but that full life is not just life back to normal. For us, Full life is not just uh, life without a mask and where we get to go back to work. Full life, says Peter, 2,000 years ago and us today, full life is something that you can actually experience in the middle of quarantine and exile. And full life is something that you can miss when everything goes back to normal and everything's running smoothly in your life. Peter wants to say the full life is not just life as normal, but the full life is a life animated and shot through by Jesus Christ. Now, I want to explain this uh, a little bit more by looking at those verses. And in particular, I want to think about this image of Jesus being a living stone. Because when we understand what it is that Jesus, is, what, what it means for Jesus to be the living stone, that'll give us an insight into this fullness of life that God is calling us into right now in the midst of this kind of weird quarantine half-life. Okay, so look at those verses, verse four, and think about the idea of a living stone. 
that's a weird thing to say, right? Livingstone, it like that's a contradiction in terms. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Like um, stones, by definition, I'm pretty sure I'm not a scientist, but like I, I think they're all dead. Um, and and if I ever found a stone that ended up crawling around, then I would assume that it wasn't a stone. What's Peter talking about by calling Jesus a living stone? Now, um, to explain that, there's a big backstory. Okay, can you come with me to the backstory? The backstory takes us into the Hebrew scriptures or what Christians call the Old Testament. And in particular, we need to talk about this idea of the temple. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Jerusalem, but if you went to Jerusalem, maybe you've seen pictures of Jerusalem. Uh, there's something called the Western Wall, which is the most holy place in all of Judaism. And what it is, it's a wall, a big giant wall of uh, really, really, really old stones. And what it is, is it's uh, originally, it was a retaining wall around the temple, the Jewish temple that was destroyed 2000 years ago. And in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, the temple is just hugely important in ancient Jewish Israelite religion. In fact, it's so important that 2000 years later, after the last time it was destroyed, um, people still travel there just to pray in front of those stones. Why was the temple so important? Well, in the Hebrew scriptures and in the Old Testament, the temple in Jerusalem, it was a little bit like God's embassy on earth. It's not a perfect image, but it's a little bit like that. It was a little plot of ground uh, where you could go there to this big stone, beautiful building, and you could have some assurance that you were in proximity to the God who's actually there. Not the God of everybody's imagination, but the God who's actually there. And the temple in Israel just filled the nation of Israel with meaning. And in particular, it filled the nation with meaning because it helped Israel have a sense of at least three things. It gave them a sense of connection and vocation and favor. So the temple gave them a sense of connection because if the temple was there and if they were going to the temple, they could know that they were deeply connected to God. Um, I guess that every one of us right now can feel the bite of disconnection. It's terrible, right? You're disconnected from people. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Well, if there really is a God and you can be connected with him, then to be disconnected with him is just as bad as it gets. And so they went to the temple because it allowed them to sense that they were deeply, deeply connected and it, it touched something very deep within them. So it gave them connection with God. But secondly, it also gave them a sense of vocation. Um, Israel, when they went to the temple, they realized that they had a job to do. Uh, they were, uh, as a nation, they had a job, not just to survive, not just to dominate everybody else. They had a job to do. And the job that they had to do is they were supposed to represent God to the world around them. Um, I expect most of us know that, um, well, uh, most of us feel that vocation is connected with meaning. So if you have a really significant uh, vocation in life, then that's going to be crucial to filling your life with a sense of meaning. And the same was true for ancient Israel. And it was all gathered up in the temple. But then the temple also, finally, thirdly, gave Israel a sense of favor. They could look at the temple and they could know that God was pleased with them. And that's important because it meant that 
it's not just that Israel and God were kind of connected together in some sort of legal sense or something like that. It was that God and Israel were bound together in love. God favored Israel, poured out his affection upon Israel, and Israel responded by pouring that affection back to God. And once again, I'm sure most of us can resonate with that, right? You've, all of us know that, you know, if you're surrounded by people who uh, are pleased with you and love you and pour out affection with you, that's just the best, right? And some of us have been seeking that all your life. Well, that's what Israel experienced as they went to the temple. So the temple was really important. It gave them uh, connection, vocation, and favor. However, if you read through the story of the Old Testament, you get to this point where a terrible disaster happens. What happened? Well, long story to tiny. Um, Israel decided at some point, at various points, that they could achieve fullness of life on their own without God. They just kind of cut themselves off from God. If you want to read about this, go read the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. It gives you all kinds of insight. What happened is they rejected God and they preferred autonomy, skepticism, and a well-diversified portfolio of hope in this life. And they thought they could do it well on their own. Well, it didn't, doesn't go well. Uh, what happens is their uh, political life becomes corrupt. Um, some of them put their hope in, a, some, in Babylon. Some of them put their hope in the Egyptian empire, long story. Their religious life falls apart. The economy falls apart, and in the end, Babylon wins. Babylon comes in, invades Israel, uh, destroys the temple, and carries off a bunch of the people of Israel off into exile in Babylon. And it's just disaster. Imagine Israel. They're in exile, most of them, many of them, in Babylon. And they know the hundreds of miles away, back in Jerusalem, their temple is in ruins. And now they're living a half-life. They're quarantined away from home. They're quarantined away from the temple. And not only are they quarantined away from the temple, the temple itself is just a pile of rubble, which means their connection with God is a pile of rubble and dead rocks. Their vocation is a pile of rubble and dead rocks. Their source of favor and therefore joy is a pile of rubble and dead rocks. And they're stuck in exile and quarantine in a hostile land. It's bad. They're living the half-life. Colors drained out. They're living in black and white and worse. What happens? Well, again, long story short, 70 years later, a bunch of them get to go back to Jerusalem and they kind of rebuild the temple. However, it doesn't really work. It kind of works. The new temple, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's functional. But there's a way in which Israel looks at this new and rebuilt, not quite as good temple. And they realize that even though they've tried to rebuild the temple and they're really trying hard to do it right, nevertheless, they look at it and they realize that in a real and deep and profound way, this new temple that they've rebuilt is a pile of dead rocks nicely assembled. And it just doesn't quite work. Or let me say it this way. They look at the temple and they realize that the temple the building, the rocks don't really give them connection and vocation and favor. But what it does do 
is it shows them just how much they need connection and vocation and favor and just how impossible it is for them to get there on their own. They just can't achieve it. Even after they rebuild the temple and they're kind of back to normal, sort of, they're still living the half-life. Now, pause this and bring it to us, because right now, as I was saying at the beginning, a lot of us kind of can identify, right? We're living a little bit of a half-life, and most of us feel our need for connection and vocation and favor, joy. And there's a temptation that right now we can say, you know what, all of the, it's, it's going to be okay. All of that's going to come back as soon as life gets back to normal, whatever in the world normal might mean. But here I want to say, careful. Don't be so sure. COVID has made us feel the sting of the half-life. But COVID didn't create the half-life. And there's a deep way which we can like, I don't know, try to go back to normal, reconstruct our lives and a replica of what once was. I mean, the glory days that was, you know, January or something. But the problem is we can't rebuild our lives out of the half-life. We can pile up some dead stones, but they're still dead stones. And just like all dead stones, they'll crumble eventually. So what's the solution? We'll go back to the story. Because if you fast forward a few hundred years, skipping a bunch, you get to Jesus. And Jesus, in this scene, he's walking around the rebuilt and improved temple. Uh, you can read about this in Gospel of John, chapter 2. Jesus walks around the temple, and he looks at the temple, and then in a loud voice, he says, Hey, everybody, tear down this rebuilt temple. I know it's big and nice, but tear it down, and in three days, I'll build it back. And everybody, you know, Jesus liked to say weird things. Like, he was kind of famous for saying weird things. And everybody looks at him and they're like, you're crazy. Except he was serious, but they just didn't know what he meant. To understand what he means, go back to 1 Peter. Jesus was claiming that he was a living stone. What in the world? Well, remember, the temple is made of dead stones. It, it tells us what we need, but it doesn't give it to us. It reminds us that we need connection and vocation and favor, but itself can't deliver any of those things any more than a stone can deliver life. But Jesus is saying he's, he's a completely different thing. He's saying, I am a living stone, meaning I not only show you what you need, I can give you what you need, but what you can never achieve. The temple pointed to our need for God and made us feel that we were living a half-life. But Jesus comes and he says, I'm a living stone, meaning I am God's son. And therefore, I can give you what the temple shows you you need. I can give you real connection with God, real intimacy with God. I can give you not only connection with God, I can give you a vocation. When you come to me, I will join you together with other Christians. And together, you'll become a temple not made of stone, but made of renewed and transformed human lives. And as a community, you will represent me and you will represent God to the world. I'll give you a connection. I'll give you a vocation. And I will also give you favor. 
Jesus says, I am the living stone and I'm the only human who has ever really fully enjoyed and lived under the full favor of God because I never rejected God. But Jesus says to us, I'm a living stone. I can actually give that favor to you. I'll share the favor I've received from God. I'll share it with you. And that will pour a joy into your lives that exceeds your capacity to receive it. Now, I know that's a lot, but it's all implied in the idea that Jesus is the living stone. Let me say the whole thing differently. Jesus is the living stone, which means he's the only human who has experienced full life. And he's the only one who can really give that full life to us. Real connection, real vocation, real favor with God. And in our verses, it says he gives that full life to anyone who will come to him. All right. But here's the problem. The problem is we don't. We don't. We don't come to him. Instead, we have a tendency to reject him just like Israel did. Look at the verse again. It says, uh, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Um, what that means is all of us tend to reject Jesus. So think about Israel, right? Israel, even though they had the temple and it was kind of great, they reject God and they reject God and they prefer autonomy. They want to run their own lives. Can you identify? They reject God and instead of trust, they want to live by skepticism. Uh, they want to build a well-diversified portfolio of hope of, and things in this world. But the problem is that path, it just tended to sink them deeper into the half-life. It didn't give them full life. It sank them deeper into the half-life. It's like a car stuck in mud and you just, you just gun the engine and the whole back, you ever done this? The whole back, back of the car just goes, that's what they were doing. And the same thing happens when Jesus shows up. So Jesus shows up and he's offering real connection, real favor, real vocation with God. But pretty much everybody, in fact, even his closest disciples end up rejecting him and he ends up hanging on a cross. And now we need to slow down because this is where the half-life takes us if we let it run off and run forward. What do I mean by that? Well, here, let me try to explain it. If I settle down in the half-life, I just kind of make peace with it and I, and I get used to living without God and I suppress that desire for more, just kind of say, hey, listen, it's just never going to be fulfilled. So just, just push it down and live, just be content with the half-life. I mean, black and white, it's not color, but it'll do. The problem with that is that the more we choose the half-life and reject God, the more the half-life will close in and hold us in exile from God. It's like the more we choose the half-life, the more, the, the more power the half-life has over us. And you can see it in the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Here they are, they're the religious leaders. They're like really religious folks. You know, they had funny shirts like this and junk. And yet, they are the ones that crucify him. They preferred the half-life to the whole life. And we do the same thing when we reject Jesus. You know, that's one way to think about sin, right? Sin... Maybe that's not clear. Sin is rejecting Jesus, preferring the half-life 
And when we do that, it doesn't feel like a big deal. But be careful because the reason it doesn't feel like a big deal is because we have been numbed by the half-life. We're just used to it. And the longer we stay in the half-life, the worse it'll get. It has a deteriorating capacity. So the longer uh, we make peace with the half-life, our, our, uh, instead of connection with God, we'll just be separated from him permanently. Uh, instead of a vocation, because we're separated from God, just our life will be filled with futility. And instead of living under God's favor, we will increasingly be hardened to God until we become an enemy of God. And you're like, oh, Jim, come on. That's really dramatic. It's not, no. Well, here, here's my warning. What I'm trying to describe is what happens when the half-life gains momentum. It continues deteriorating us forever. But now keep that in mind and look back at the text because the opposite happens when we come to Christ. Remember that Jesus, one way to think of it is this, Jesus on the cross, he entered our half-life and switched places with us. On the cross, he took our place. He experienced our separation from God, our futility in life, our enmity with God. He experienced it so that he could give us his connection with God and his vocation before God and his favor under God. In other words, he became a dead stone when he was hanging upon the cross so that we could become living stones. He entered the half-life so that we could get out and enter into the full life and the whole life. And so that leads us to the question, Emmanuel, how do you respond to the experience of the half-life and the offer of full life? Because we could just kind of double down on our self-reliance and wait out the siege of this weird time and, and maybe we'll get back to, to normal, you know? And maybe, maybe we'll kind of get back to the way it was in like January, because that was the golden age, right? And we could rebuild a dead temple. And we maybe we'll get our jobs back and our social life will come back and we'll have fun. And we'll limp along in the half-life. But if that's a temptation for you, it's for all of us. Consider the magnitude of that tragedy. Why be satisfied with a dead temple when there's a living stone before us? Why be satisfied with the half-life when there's full life waiting for us? Jesus stands before us as a living stone, offering us full life, just saying, come to me. I give it without cost. Verse 4 says, as you come to him, living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And then here comes a whole bunch of description of the full life. You yourselves, look at it. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's a lot of words, but it's about connection and vocation and favor. Can you see it? As we come to him, we'll gain connection. Come to Christ, he's the living stone, but he, he shares his identity with us. He makes us living stones. All your life, right, we have been trying to find an identity, haven't we? We've tried to earn it. We've tried to perform it. We've tried to discover it by looking inside ourselves, and it's exhausting. 
Jesus is the living stone and he will share his identity with you. And he will connect you with God so that you will enjoy an intimacy for which you were made, but which you have never tasted without Christ. And those of you who have walked with Christ, this is a beckoning. Come deeper, deeper in. That thirst that you have for connection, for intimacy, you were made for connection with God, intimacy with God, and intimacy with others. That's what Jesus wants to give you. And the half-life will never really finally give that to you. It'll always promise, but never deliver. Jesus gives connection, but then he also gives vocation. He'll make us, it says in the text, a royal priesthood. What's a priest? A priest is an ambassador. Jesus is the perfect priest, the perfect ambassador of God, but he makes us little ones when we come to him. So that you get a vocation. Your vocation is not your job. That's good. It's important. But your vocation becomes to represent God in this world to everyone around you. And friends, all your, all your life, you've been driven with your career, right? And that's good. But that drive for your career is an echo of a deeper calling. And that deeper calling is to represent God in this world. And that's what Jesus is calling you into. Your career is good. But if you settle for just your career, it will rise up and own you like a tyrant. You were made for something bigger. You need a vocation and Jesus gives it to you. Come to the living stone. He gives you connection, intimacy with God and others. He gives you a vocation to represent him to the world. And then he also gives you favor. We get to offer spiritual sacrifices that are, keyword, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Listen, I've been spending most of my life trying to earn other people's approval. Some of you have too. And if you have, you know it's like hell. It's terrible living like that. And I say hell not, not because I'm trying to use shocking language. I'm using hell in a technical sense. It's the foretaste of a terrible, terrible, tragic future where we are tyrannized by the half-life and it just keeps deteriorating. But we were made for a better approval. And when we come to Jesus Christ in total surrender, saying, Jesus, I surrender my life. I am a dead stone. I need to be made a living stone. Jesus, will you do in me and for me what I cannot do for myself? Will you grant this? Then Jesus Christ shares the favor he has always received. He shares it with us. And we get to live under the white hot affection of God as our father. And we taste the full life. So friends, half-life, it ends in tragedy. It's right now trying to numb you and trying to persuade you that it's okay. It's not. The full life is what Jesus came to give you. And this right now is a precious moment because when we're exhausted with the half-life, it gives us an opportunity to desire something better. Desire and trust the living stone. Jesus came to you Will you come to him and entrust yourself to him? Christian, this is your path of renewal. Those who are not Christians, this is your path to the renovation of your whole life. Come to the living stone. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. 
And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.